0: welcome to the self-love series. Today we are talking about our physical health. My name is Denali Lord, registered dietitian, mindset coach, and health coach. I'm so excited you guys are here. Today is the third aspect of our overall health and really defining what self-love is. So last week, we talked about our emotional health and how our emotions are a facet or a component of our mental health, but they definitely influence and impact our overall ability to love ourselves. Today, we're going to focus more on our physical health. And to me, physical health includes our diet, our exercise, and our sleep. So really the key in developing good physical health habits, developing good self-love practices is moderation, moderation for everything. So let's talk about what a well-balanced diet is. As a registered dietitian, I have well really seen or read pretty much everything, and a well-balanced diet can get a little skewed when you start to look at trendy diet fads or what social media might portray as a healthy diet. So what is a healthy diet according to the Commission on Dietetic Registration, which is my governing body? A healthy and balanced diet is one that consists of healthy fats lean proteins and healthy carbohydrates let's talk about carbohydrates first because they often get a bad rap of oh i can't eat any carbs well actually you can and i don't want to say you should but you should (laughs) carbohydrates are our brain's preferred fuel source this means that our brain will not operate optimally or quite frankly will not operate if we do not have enough yes we can make carbohydrates from non-carbohydrate sources but it's really not ideal in fact it's actually a safety mechanism that our body has created under times of extreme duress think you got stranded on an island and you don't get to eat for several days, several weeks, you get the picture, but it's not something that we want to do to our body on a daily basis. That tends to put our body in a less than optimal state. So what are healthy carbohydrates? Healthy carbohydrates include things like fruits, vegetables, lean sources of dairy, so, this focus really isn't to dive into the details of all aspects of a healthy diet. We could make like a whole podcast on that. Um, it is something that, if you want more detail on, I am a dietitian. I do provide nutrition coaching. That's something that you are welcome to reach out to me either via social or via um, email and inquire more about. But Some general examples of healthy carbohydrates include things, vegetables. So think about um, leafy greens like spinach, lettuce, so romaine lettuce, things such as fruits like tomatoes or apples, bananas, healthy grains, whole grains. So your whole wheat pastas, um, things like couscous. Things like barley, starches are an essential part of our overall ability to maintain that adequate glucose supply that I was talking about earlier. Other sources of healthy carbohydrates do include dairy. Dairy is a great source of calcium and vitamin D. This could be found in things like cottage cheese. It could also be found in things like Greek yogurt. So, including carbohydrates is important not only for our body's ability to just function optimally, but it also does help protect organs like our kidneys and our liver. It's a buffering system. With that being said, any imbalance, whether it's too little or too much, does have an effect on our overall health. Right? If you think of diabetes, that's our body's basically inability to use glucose. Glucose is the most simple broken down form of carbohydrates that we use. When our body doesn't properly metabolize the glucose, we can have things like glucose intolerance or ultimately type 1 or type 2 diabetes. More on that in another podcast, or again, any questions you guys have, feel free to reach out to me, either email or social. So we've talked about what healthy carbohydrates are. Next, let's talk about lean proteins, which proteins I get asked a lot about, especially if you, well, do you don't eat meat and you don't have to eat meat to get a lean protein. I will say, Animal meats, so things that come from an animal versus a plant based protein, do offer a complete amino acid profile, meaning that the amino acids in the animal meat are more, they are well rounded. They are offering everything your body needs to function optimally. If we eat them from plant sources, we have to work harder to make it balanced. So good sources of lean protein, salmon, tuna, mackerel, halibut, lean cuts of beef, think 90% or less, really 93%, uh, meaning that 7% of it is fat, the 93% is fat free, chicken, turkey, bison those are all very lean sources of protein if you are adverse to eating meat or you just don't eat meat for whatever reason plant or non-animal sources of protein include nuts think of almonds pistachios walnuts peanuts these are fantastic sources you do have other sources such as black beans kidney beans, more of your legume and starchy type foods. Eggs are also a good source of protein. Some uh, rices also have added protein to them. Cottage cheese, although it does fall into that dairy category where it does have a high amount of carbohydrate, it also has a high amount of protein. One word of discretion though, with your plant-based proteins, there's a lot of fiber and fiber often makes it difficult to absorb the food. We need fiber, but when you're trying to absorb a certain mineral or a certain micronutrient, it can complicate things. I mentioned an amino acid profile. So animal proteins provide that complete amino acid profile. The Only plant based sources that combine that provide a complete amino acid profile are black beans and brown rice. Any other combination does not provide that complete amino acid profile. So, if you are vegetarian or pescatarian, it might be wise to take an iron supplement by itself. So, choose another time when you're not taking any other medication or supplement and take that by itself okay so we've talked about lean protein sources healthy carbohydrates let's talk about fats so fat has had a history of no fat little fat all the fat we want it to be moderate okay so when i'm referring to healthy fats i'm mostly talking about either mono or polyunsaturated fats Mono and polyunsaturated fats are typically going to be found um, in some plant sources, but it really means that they have at least one double bond. And what this double bond does is it gives the fat a more oily like structure rather than say a solid structure. So let's say you took out a stick of butter and you pulled out a jar of canola oil. The canola oil has mostly monounsaturated fats in it, and the butter is mostly saturated fat. Saturated fats have a higher inflammatory profile. Inflammation in the body is known to cause disease. So think diabetes, heart disease, Alzheimer's, dementia, you name it, just an overall high blood pressure. We can go on and on and on, just an overall state of inflammation that leads to illness and sickness. When we eat a balanced diet that includes more of those mono, meaning there's one double bond, or poly, meaning that there's at least two double bonds, we have anti-inflammatory foods. This means that your foods are working for you. They are helping to fight inflammation in your body and prevent disease. So healthy fats, where can we find these oils like canola oil, olive oil, safflower, safflower oil, peanut butter oil, is mostly going to be an inflammatory oil. So the omega-6 oils have some benefit to them, but we really want to eat more of those omega-9s, okay? Um, So think about your salmon, your tuna, your mackerel, your halibut. If you're eating nuts, which again, vegetarians, this is your, or pescatarians, this is going to be a big source of your protein. That's your almonds, your walnuts, your pistachios. These are going to provide um, more of those healthy polyunsaturated fats the only type of fat that i'm going to say avoid at all costs because there really is no nutritive value to it meaning that it's just it's not healthy it doesn't add anything to our life are trans fats so trans fats are man-made fats that really came about with the production of more processed foods think of your cereals your pie crust your baked goods things that we want to extend the shelf life of a product. If you've ever made a baked good that really has no preservatives in it, it won't last longer than a day or two before it goes stale. So adding those preservatives, extends the shelf life. And it can also make just the texture of the product smoother, creamier, uh, but it's to risk of our overall, overall heart health and mental health. There are studies that link trans fats with higher levels of inflammation, heart disease, Alzheimer's. So we really want to avoid those. We do have to be careful with trans fats because legally food companies can actually round it down. If it is half a gram of trans fat or less, That's scary because the RDA for trans fats is about two and a half grams. That's not very much. So if you're eating a diet, that's high in processed foods, say you eat cereals, you eat breads that are not coming from a bakery where they're made daily. They're like your nature's own and other brands that are packaged. If you eat a lot of chips or if you eat a lot of candies, you're at risk of eating some high trans fat foods consider eating more foods that are made daily more fruits more vegetables more whole grains so in essence we are going for moderation with our diet when we start to restrict one type of food to an extreme or we completely eliminate food, we can start to develop some disordered eating habits that really do affect our overall quality of life, um, and it can really make things hard. So in order to eat a well-balanced diet, we're eating healthy fats, lean protein, and carbohydrates. The second biggest step that can help us achieve a healthy diet is drink plenty of water. While the current recommendation is to drink at least 64 ounces of water a day or eight servings of eight ounces of water, I really don't believe that is enough. And here's why. So 64 ounces. Well, our body is composed of 70% water. So if you weigh 100 pounds, 70 pounds of you is water. My recommendation is that you convert how much you weigh in pounds or kilograms and you convert that into ounces. So for example, say you weigh 150 pounds, you're gonna convert that into 150 ounces of water. There are ways to get water intake without actually drinking just a bunch of glasses of water. That is to eat fruits and vegetables. They have a high water concentration. Milk also has a high water concentration, as well as natural fruit juices. Things like coffee, sodas, they have some, but I encourage you to limit those as well. So as far as our drink choices, let's talk about that. I highly recommend that your diet includes mostly water, little to no alcohol the rda recommended daily allowance for a serving of alcohol in men is two drinks a day and one drink a day for women anything more than that and it is considered binge drinking so alcohol unfortunately like trans fats really has no nutritive value yes there was some study done in the early 2000s that discussed resveratrol That's quite a difficult word to spell. Um, Email me or reach out to me if you want the spelling of it. But it was done looking at red wine in men in their 50s and 60s who were at risk of cardiovascular disease. It was one study. The results were inconclusive and not super definitive. So if you're looking for ways to improve your heart health, wine or alcohol in general is not the way to go. Sorry guys, I hate to burst your bubble. So really, the most dangerous thing about alcohol is that it robs your body of all the wonderful nutrients, all the vitamins and minerals that you're getting from your foods. Our body goes into overdrive any time we ingest alcohol. It's a toxin. Yes, it numbs us out, it can help relax us, but nutrition-wise, it works against us because our body is using all of its resources to actually break down the alcohol So say you have this beautiful meal with a salad that has healthy fats and lean protein and healthy carbs in it. You aren't going to absorb the vitamins and minerals in your food. You will absorb the carbs, the fats, and the protein to some degree. Um, Alcohol tends to kind of pull things through. Oftentimes, if you drink too much, think about it, your stool is loose. Your stool looks and smells a certain way. That's the toxins leaving your body. So if you are going to have a drink, a drink, two maximum, have it when you're not eating an awesome meal, drink it by itself, Um, or a day when you, you really just, you wanna have fun and indulge on your favorite foods, but they don't have a lot of nutritive value. Okay, my fourth tip for really finding that well-balanced diet is not obsessing over what we do or don't eat. And I mentioned this earlier, when we obsess over our food, it becomes the main focus point, which affects our mental and our emotional health. It also leads to disordered eating. I can attest to this personally as someone who has struggled with disordered eating and an actual eating disorder. So. Along with that is calorie counting. Now, hear me out. Calorie counting can serve a purpose for a while, but it is not meant to be used as a long-term solution, and here's why. When you are constantly counting your calories, weighing your food, you're becoming so fixated on the calories that you might actually, one, lose out on just fun, connecting with other people, but you might start to choose foods that fit a certain calorie range that aren't necessarily nutritious. So say, for example, I have 100 calories worth of carrots versus 100 calories worth of chips. Do you know how many more carrots I have to eat than chips? A lot more carrots to get to that same 100 caloric weight as I would the chips. The Chips, it won't take us very long to get to 100 calories. So I encourage you, if you are someone who's counting your calories and you're weighing your food, why are you doing it? If you're a type one or type two diabetic or you are insulin resistant and you're trying to just understand how many calories in general you're eating and what your macronutrient breakdown looks like, okay try that for a while until you get things under control, but you will eventually get things under control and you won't necessarily need to count your calories. If you're doing this because this is a safety net, I encourage you to go back and pause and think again why you're doing this. If it's something that you're familiar and comfortable with and it's not necessarily providing you with valuable intel that you might need to regulate your blood glucose levels, Maybe you pause and you give it thought. I do realize that some of you might be bodybuilders where you have certain certain cutting phases and certain building phases. Calorie counting can be helpful. It can be essential at some point in times. But again, you have to ask yourself if you start to notice some obsessive or compulsive behaviors with counting and weighing your food. All right guys, so that's it for diet. Moving on to exercise. Just like our diet where we want our diet to be well balanced, we want exercise to be balanced as well. So your exercise should include cardiovascular, strength and range of motion exercises. I'm gonna dive into each category. So cardiovascular fitness. This could be something like a walk It could be swimming, it could be running, it could be biking or hiking. There's all kinds of ways to get cardiovascular exercise in. It is important that we include cardiovascular exercise that's more leisurely, such as a simple stroll, and exercise that's a little bit more moderate to intense, like pilometric jumps or running or anything that really gets our heart rate up. It could be cleaning as quickly as you possibly can. Having that variety of cardiovascular exercise stresses our heart in a healthy way. The heart needs to be stressed because it's a muscle. And it also allows us to provide our body with just a wide range of cardiovascular ability. If we're always doing the same cardiovascular workout, we won't get different results, right? We have to change it up. With that being said, discussing strength, we need to include strength in our routine. Why? One, muscles do burn more calories. Two, muscles attached to our bones, they help us maintain good posture, good overall strength and delay the aging process. Three, bone mass, after your early 30s, so say right around 31, 32, you stop producing new bone mass. Whatever you have in your early 30s, that's what you have for the rest of your life. So using weight-bearing exercises can help us maintain our muscle mass. So types of strength workouts include body weight. Think of push-ups, squats, lunges, planks, all body weight exercises. We can also add a weight. This could be something like a dumbbell, a cable weight that you might find at a fitness facility. It might be a kettlebell. So anything, it could honestly even be something like a heavy load of laundry or a piece of furniture that you've gotta move. That's a way to incorporate strength just by being in your own house. There's really no need to go out and get a fancy gym membership if you have things that you can use in your own home. Last but not least for exercise, this often gets overlooked, but it is crucial to maintain ability and just overall agility and youthfulness for our body. Range of motion exercises. So what the heck is range of motion? Our joints have a natural range of motion that allows us to do things like hinge, bend, Um, push, pull, basic movements in life. If we don't have good range of motion, our joints don't work properly and we can develop diseases like arthritis. It can also limit and impact our quality of life. So really the biggest preventer of an aging body is having good range of motion. Exercise methods that can do that are things like general stretches, yoga and Pilates. I have taught yoga. I also teach Pilates and both are wonderful. The biggest difference between yoga and Pilates is that yoga focuses more on the lengthening of the muscle and the breath, whereas Pilates, you also focus on the lengthening of the muscle, but you are working in a way that where you might be lying down, you might be working with gravity, using different planes of motion, using different pieces of equipment to actually help support you. Yoga is very good if you have an able body that has some stability and some strength. Yoga can be a little bit hard if you are rehabbing a shoulder, a knee, a hip, or an ankle as a lot of the postures in yoga are body weight intense, meaning that you're putting pressure on the joint. It doesn't always work to do a chaturanga if you have a bum, wrist, shoulder, back, or neck. So just something um, for thought. Also, if we tend to focus on one aspect of fitness more than the other, say that you are a cardio queen and you run six times a week and that's your jam, you never stretch, you never do strength exercises. Well, we are as strong as our limitations, meaning that you're missing out on two whole components of fitness, strength. Right? Running is great for the lower body, but we don't use the upper body quite as much. And we also certainly don't get much range of motion. Your hips and your knees and low back can get very tight from running. So we really need those range of motion exercises to make sure that we've got the proper stride length and to make sure that we're not going to get injured. So maintaining that balance of exercise is also in crucial to our overall health and just as another way of showing our self-love. Lastly, when it comes to our physical health, sleep is one aspect of health that often gets overlooked. For me personally, it is a priority and it has become, has become something that is key. In general, most adults get six hours or less of sleep per night and the recommendation is seven to nine hours of deep quality sleep. What does deep quality sleep look like? Well, we're not waking up every hour or every few minutes. We're not tossing and turning. In general, we wake up feeling refreshed, rechar- recharged, and ready to tackle our day. If we have anything less than that, then we are getting subpar sleep. So, how can we create healthy sleep habits? Well, One, I recommend setting a bedtime and a wake time and sticking to it. At first, this can be overwhelming. If you are someone who is used to going to bed in the wee hours of the morning, 1, 2, 3 a.m., start by setting your bedtime an hour earlier and then kind of working your way back every week or every couple of weeks Don't go from going to bed at 2 a.m. to 10 p.m. That's a five-hour jump, and it, quite frankly, might be unrealistic at first. It's important that we have the same bedtime and wake time every day of the week, regardless if it's the weekend. I'm still working on this one and am guilty of sleeping in on occasion, but it's really, to our body's benefit when we go to bed at the same time and when we wake up at the same time just to keep our internal clock known as our circadian rhythm on a regular habitual basis when we start to deviate from our circadian rhythm that's when we get our sleep abnormalities another helpful tip to creating healthy sleep Patterns. Avoid electronics one to three hours before you go to bed. If you are scrolling through Instagram or cranking out an email right before you go to bed, the blue light from the electronics will actually stimulate our mind and will either prevent us from going to sleep or will make our sleep unrestful where we're constantly tossing and turning. We're not able to stay asleep. The next tip is make your room dark. Buy blackout curtains, buy shutters, buy blinds, make it as dark as you possibly can. If you have a thing like a TV light or some random light, stick a little um, band aid or sticker over it so you don't see the light when you turn out everything. My fourth tip is make sure that your room is cool. There is nothing worse than trying to go to sleep in a hot room, it's next to impossible. Ideally, studies show that the best temperature for sleep is somewhere between 65 and 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Next, We want to keep our bedroom clean and tidy. If we have laundry everywhere or just a big pile of stuff that we haven't gone through, it's really hard for our brain to relax. All we're focused on is, oh, I didn't do my laundry. I didn't clean my room and make it tidy. So make it a priority of putting things away so that your bedroom space is your sanctuary. It's beautiful. It's clean. It's peaceful and restful. Another tip is avoiding intense exercise late at night. My recommendation is really trying to do any kind of intense exercise, whether that's cardio or weightlifting, before 5 p.m. Here's why. When we exercise, we have a rush of hormones that we need, but they kind of stimulate the fight or flight hormones that we need if there's an emergency. Cortisol is one of the main hormones that's released. Cortisol can actually interfere with our sleep. It can prevent us from either falling asleep or staying asleep or getting deep quality sleep. So in order for us to get into our REM cycle, our deep sleep cycle, we need to try to do any kind of intense exercise earlier on in the day. Again, I would do it way before 5 p.m. Noon would be a better time frame, but I realize with people's work schedules and Um, perhaps you have family member schedules that you're working around sometimes you have to squeeze in your workout around others lastly we want to try to drink our fluids earlier in the day if you've ever had a night where you are just constantly up and then down trying to empty your bladder it can be really frustrating drinking the majority of your fluids earlier in the day can help to eliminate any kind of bladder disturbance also monitoring your sleep habits whether that's through a journal or through an app can be really really helpful if your sleep is still not progressing in a positive trend or a positive way, or if you're struggle struggling with just not sleeping at all, please seek professional and medical guidance as insomnia and sleep disturbances are a very real health concern. So guys, thank you so much for listening. Today's podcast was a little longer, but as you can tell, our physical health is multifactorial and includes our diet, our exercise and our sleep patterns. In order for us to create self-love and to fully love ourselves, we do need to take care of ourselves in these ways, eating healthy, exercising most days of the week, and trying to get seven to nine hours of deep, good quality sleep most nights of the week. As with anything, Our diets won't be perfect, our exercise habits won't be perfect, and our sleep habits won't be perfect. The important thing is that we're not beating ourselves up over any quote unquote mistakes or any time we don't meet those health targets, but that we recognize when we do things well and we continue to try to move forward in that positive trend. My name is Denali Lord. Feel free to connect with me on Instagram at Denali, D E N A L I, underscore Lord, L O R D, or you can email me at infodenalilord.com. At Thank you so much for listening today and tune in next week for another episode of Self Love Series. Have a great rest of your week and talk soon.